You're listening to Foreseeable, a production of Global is Asian, the flagship thought leadership digital platform of Singapore's Lee Kuan Yew School of Public Policy. Each episode, we invite an expert for a conversation relating to their field of study or experience and to find out what they foresee happening in the future. Urban environments, from infrastructure to green spaces, play a crucial role in shaping lifestyle choices, social dynamics, and overall quality of health. This intricate relationship between urban spaces and health underscores the need for comprehensive strategies that address the challenges posed by modern city living while fostering conditions that promote healthier, happier communities. Tan Shin Bin is an assistant professor at the Lee Kuan Yew School of Public Policy, or LKYSPP. She previously worked as an urban planner at Singapore's Urban Redevelopment Authority, the government body tasked with guiding the physical development of Singapore in a sustainable manner. She joins us to discuss how urban environments impact health, as well as the opportunities and challenges faced when developing policies to promote healthier lifestyles within urban spaces. Thank you for joining us. Thank you for having me here. Could you start by just telling us a bit about what you do at LKYSPP and what kind of interesting work you're onto at the moment? I'm currently an assistant professor at the Lee Kuan Yew School, and my research uh, focuses at looking at the policies that built the built environment and how that affects human health. And I'm particularly interested in uh, the more socially vulnerable populations that are at risk of poorer health outcomes than the rest of the population. Now, I've noticed you've done quite a lot of research on Singapore, and Singapore is a small city-state. Why do you think anyone else around the world would be interested in the urban planning research conducted in Singapore? Yes. This is a perennial question that a lot of people doing work in Singapore grapple with because you are right, Singapore is very small. But I would say that we are small and interesting because we are very different from these more studied contexts, such as the US. Especially in the field that I'm working in, when I'm looking at the effect of place on health, most of the research has been conducted in countries like the US, the UK, Europe, and Australia to some extent. So because of this, the knowledge is very much concentrated in what we might say is a Western context. Because of that, it's quite difficult, I would say, to translate what the field has gained over the decades to our region uh, in Asia or some of the more developing parts of the world. This is because the way that urban planning is done in different contexts is, is different. So the way that urban planning is done in Asia is very different from the way it's done in more Western countries. Because of that also, the kind of urban patterns that have emerged, the urban fabric of the city really differs from here to there. The cultures, the perceptions of space, the way that we interact with our environment, all this differs from region to region. Because of that, it becomes very difficult to map the lessons that have been gathered in the West to this part of the world. Doing work in Singapore already lends an insight into a much less studied context. So arguably, the work that we do in Singapore can also be more applicable to the region, more applicable to Asia. And for that reason, I'll say the work that's coming out of Singapore is interesting. I also think that when you think about urban research, Singapore is also very interesting because the way we do planning is quite top-down, very government-led. Because of that, we can dabble in kind of difficult policy decisions that in other contexts might be very difficult to get passed through. Uh, so Singapore can be seen as a policy lab for testing more radical ideas, I think. One example we can look at is Singapore's congestion pricing scheme. We really were uh, a front runner in, in the world uh, in pushing through this policy. If you look at other countries or cities that have tried to push through congestion pricing, they've 
really encountered a lot of political pushback and because of that have been unable to unroll the policy. This is an example of some of the stuff that comes out of Singapore that could be very interesting for other jurisdictions who might be interested in similar policies, but for whatever reason, we're not able to actually do that. And I think the kind of positive or negative lessons that come out from Singapore's experience are a really useful learning point for them. I'd like to ask specifically about healthier cities and which of Singapore's urban planning policies might be of interest to those looking to build healthier cities and what lessons might they glean from Singapore's experiences? So in my opinion, I think Singapore is doing a lot of the obvious measures uh, to encourage healthy living. One of the big areas I think Singapore has done a really great job is infrastructural improvements. I think if you look back at Singapore's history, we've actually come a long way in terms of cleaning up the city, in terms of putting in good water, sanitation, drainage infrastructure. I mean, they sound very obvious, but they've actually gone a long way in improving the health of our people. So that's one part of Singapore's urban planning policies that provide a good learning point for other cities interested in building healthy cities. Other than that, I also think that Singapore has done well in terms of distributing spatial resources. I believe that Singapore is quite cognizant of the kind of spatial equity issues when it thinks about distributing parks, making sure that all the neighborhoods have like good access to affordable food through hawker centers. I think this is also an area where I know Singapore provides a good case example for uh, other cities interested in uh, building up a healthy outcome through planning. Some of the more obvious things when we think about planning for a healthy city, we think about parks, pedestrian paths, cycling paths, water infrastructure. I think another way that Singapore's urban planning policies are interesting, the less obvious ways that planning might affect health. One of the big and controversial policies that Singapore has in place is our policies to prevent spatial segregation. Singapore has in place a quota system in our public housing estates to ensure that there's a good mix of different ethnicities within the public estates. And in Singapore, given that over like 80% of residents live in public housing, such a social mixing policy really goes a long way in terms of ensuring that our social fabric is very well mixed uh, on, in, in terms of the, the, the urban landscape. If you look at other contexts like the US or the UK, where spatial segregation has been shown to have strong links to negative health impacts, you can start to think about why a policy like the ethnic mixing policy in Singapore might be interesting to a city that's looking to tackle the problem of uh, spatial segregation in their context. It gives insight into how a policy can be implemented but it also is an opportunity to look at the actual impacts of such a policy. So you can imagine that a study that looks at the spatial mixing in Singapore and whether this translates into good impacts in terms of health, actual social capital, social mixing, or whether there might be negative impacts in terms of greater sense of isolation for a minority group who is not necessarily surrounded by their kind. That's something to think about. And currently, I don't think there's a lot of empirical research looking at the actual health impact of social mixing policies in Singapore. This is something I think could be worked on in the future. Could we take a step back? I'd like to ask you just the concept of healthier cities, because you spoke about Singapore's history, and, and I'm aware that at the very beginning of Singapore's history, if you're talking about health and cities, you're talking about basics like clean water, curbing waterborne diseases and things like that. But then th through the years, we've you're talking about things that are less obvious, like spatial segregation and how that can affect health. Where are we on the path of what is considered a healthy city? And where are policymakers around the world? Where are they looking next? What are, what are their main concerns right now about what they're looking at to, to make sure that their populations are as healthy as can be? That's a good question. 
different cities ha- are on different places on this trajectory they are describing, right? I think a lot of places are actually still grappling with the, the questions of water and sanitation. I think that's a big area of need that cities who are trying to build healthier cities are really focusing on. Safe shelter, safe water, sanitation facilities, and so on. Uh, I think a lot of places are still grappling with that. If you're thinking about cities that are more like Singapore, more developed cities, I think we have gone past that that challenge. And it becomes more of an issue of how do you correct some of the mistakes that have been made? When I say mistakes, I would say the fact that a lot of our cities are quite car dependent is a bit of a mistake. Because when you think about driving and you think about the, the impact it has in terms of air pollution, noise pollution, and now even more concerned about climate change, driving is really something that can be seen as health detrimental, I would say. I think a lot of cities are starting to also go on that path of trying to figure out how do we reverse the car dependency that we have. And Singapore is a city that's also grappling with the need to transition away from cars. And then we have been putting in policies like cycling policies, putting in efforts to encourage more walking, more use of public transport. And I think that's a big area of health that a lot of cities are hopefully trying to to push towards. I would say another area that it's emerging would be mental health as well. I think for a long time, we have had a lot of focus on physical health because that's something that I guess it's more readily measured. But I think in recent years, especially when you think about the COVID-19 pandemic and the kind of widespread impact we have seen on mental health, I think interest in how we can create environments that are conducive to mental health would be another big area where policymakers and urban planners are really interested in. Do you have any examples of that, of policies that are consider urban planning, but are still contributing to greater mental health. Also, what are some of the challenges of implementing some of these new policies? So I think in terms of urban planning and mental health, a lot of work and intuitive stuff would be greenery. So I think there's a lot of uh, work around creating green sanctuaries, parks, urban greening as a way to provide relief from oftentimes noisy, dense, smelly environment. And I think Singapore, again, provides a lot of examples of how greenery is used to soften the urban landscape. But in terms of how does this actually impact mental health, I don't think that the understanding is, is super robust at this point. Um, I think there's a lot of efforts to try to play with these initiatives. I'm not sure if there's a clear sense of how this translates into actual health changes. I think another big piece of how urban planning might affect mental health is through the social networks, the kind of social ties that we build. If you think about the way planning affects how people interact in space, right? I think you can imagine a, a well-planned city with a lot of opportunities for interaction, for socializing, for people to sit down and share a cup of coffee. Um, these would be places that people can accumulate more social resources and communities and friends. And I think it's very well documented how friend networks and social networks are very beneficial for mental health. And again, when we think about uh, the COVID-19 pandemic and how we had to isolate from each other uh, affected mental health, it's very clear that there is a link between the spaces we occupy and the kind of friendships and ties and networks we can build. So I think there is probably a lot of interest amongst urban planners on how you can tap on the design of the urban space to encourage more social bonding. But again, I would say that this is not something that is solid science in the sense that we don't have very good empirical evidence to back this intuition. All of these policies that you've mentioned, whether in Singapore or in other cities around the world, what are some of the challenges that policymakers have to consider and overcome to implement these policies? I would say that one big challenge, which I've alluded to in my earlier discussion, is the lack of 
really solid empirical work that gives policymakers the confidence that if I do X, it will lead to Y improvements. And I think that this is something that is is really difficult to do research in the space of place and how place affects health because there are a lot of like ethical issues about changing the environment that people live in or putting people in different environments where you can test the Im- impact of the environment. Because of the way that the research has to be structured with a strong reliance on what is actually happening on the ground versus experiments, I think policymakers would struggle a bit to find very strong evidence that certain urban interventions will lead to good health. I think because of that, there is a certain amount of uncertainty that policymakers have to work with when they are trying to interpret the research. Again, like I said, a lot of the research around health in place is focused on very specific contexts. So the US has a lot of research, but in Asia, you can imagine Southeast Asia, the research is very thin on the ground. So if you're a policymaker trying to make decisions based on US research, and you can see where the translation becomes very tricky as well. So I'll say that's also another uh, major challenge that urban planners would face when they're trying to put in healthy interventions. And I'll say another thing, land is a resource that everybody wants a piece of, especially when you think about prime locations. And we also see this in Singapore because we are such a small country and every piece of land is very valuable. So when you start thinking about, should I be putting this piece of land to this use or that use? Should I use it to test my intervention or not? It becomes quite tricky because there's a lot of contestation around the use of land. So I'll say these are some of the major challenges that uh, mm-hmm. urban planners trying to change a city for the healthier would, would face. Now I'd like to ask you a bit more about some of your specific research. You wrote a paper exploring how socioeconomic status affects the obesity risks of residents in their surrounding neighborhoods. Your analysis suggests that the effects of making changes or improvements in urban areas might vary amongst residents depending on their socioeconomic status. Could you elaborate on this and and help us understand it? Sometimes we assume that everybody benefits equally from a change in the environment. So for example, when a planner comes in and says, I want to create this nice new urban park in this neighborhood, there's a certain thinking that this is a universal good and everybody can partake in this good. But the truth is, when you think about how people interact with they show things in their environment. It really depends on who they are, the resources they have, the, the place they are in emotionally. Someone who has a lot of time would probably be more amenable to exercising in this new park, for example, or walking their dog. Whereas someone who has very little bandwidth, who might be struggling with the day-to-day, you know, having a new park next door might not make a, a dent in the change in their routine because their schedule is already so tightly packed. So this is where I think the observation that you made about my research comes from, the kind of intuition that depending on a certain set of resources that you have, the way that you interact with your environment would differ. And this is something that I do see in several pieces of the research I've done. When you look at a change in the environment, how it affects different groups, different relationships. What you described here was looking at obesity risks. So I saw that increased access to nearby park connectors, linear parks were associated with a a decrease in body mass index for students who are of low or middle socioeconomic class. So it seems like the reason for this could be that they accessed the park connectors, did a bit more exercise there and so on and so forth. Uh, But we don't see a corresponding effect on students of higher socioeconomic status. And here you can hypothesize what's the kind of differentiating factor between uh, students who have uh, lower resources versus higher resources. 
Could it be that students who are of higher resources have access to a, a family car, for example, that would bring them a lot further away so that they're not bounded by their immediate neighborhoods? This is one hypothesis that could be tested further. In terms of the actual research I did, I was looking very much at like headline indicators. I didn't manage to drill into the actual pathways of change, but I think that's something that I'll be interested in doing. And I think people uh, should also be, be looking at the kind of causal pathways. Although the, the study that you mentioned focused on differences by social economic class, you can also think about how our relationship with the built environment differs by gender. Do women have a different relationship with a nice shaded park in the neighborhood? Arguably, they could be more concerned about crime compared to a man who would just breeze through the park with no concern. We can think about how ethnicity could affect the way that we relate to our environment, our age. So all these are really important questions when we think about how the environment affects health. Do you have any research projects in the works that hope to answer some of these questions? Yes. I think you might be able to glean from my discussion that I'm particularly interested in looking at uh, the relationship that socially marginalized groups would have with the, their built environments. One of the projects that I'm currently working on uh, looks at the uh, involuntary relocation of low-income rental flat uh, communities here in Singapore. Through surveys and interviews, uh, we're trying to get an in-depth look into how Changes in neighborhoods might affect the well-being of uh, this community, which I you know low-income, arguably socially vulnerable. And I, I wanted to study how the day-to-day -day routines might change after changing neighborhoods, how the move affected their social ties, changes their relationship with their friends, their families, and their immediate neighbors. So all these would help get a better sense of how a group like this, who is relatively less studied, especially within a Singapore context, relate back to their environments. And because of that, hopefully get insights of how the, the urban environment can be better designed to, to meet their needs. Also, given that they are a group that are at higher risk of poorer health outcomes, there's a real urgency to make sure that our planning interventions are supportive of their health. And you've alluded to some of this already, but what other future trends are, are on the horizon that you see when it comes to urban planning and healthy cities? Anything that you're excited about or that you'd like to share with us? One thing that I think seems to be emerging is looking beyond just overall population health. I think that interest in health is a big consideration that has come up in recent years. So if we actually dial back a bit and think about the history of urban planning, actually a lot of what we understand to be modern-day urban planning came out of a concern of health, the desire to, to make sure that our environments are clean and safe, to separate out the dirty and polluting users. All of that really was a, a primary driving consideration back in the day when industrial cities were starting to emerge. And that was what was driving planning considerations. And it feels like we've come a bit of a circle today where we start to think about how does urban planning affect health. I think this is a, a consideration that really came up also in response to COVID, where health concerns became really front and center in a very global and very epic scale. So I'd say that kind of urban planning, and the link between urban planning and health is a, a hopefully sustainable trend that's going to continue in the future. But the, the reason I say I would like people to look beyond overall population health is there is a, a need to look at health equity as an outcome as well. So for planners to explicitly consider the health of populations who are uh, vulnerable to poorer health outcomes. We can think about lower income groups. We can think about ethnic, racial, and minorities. Again, thinking about how COVID-19 has affected 
uh, health of the world, it seems like the, the, the health disparities that have emerged from COVID-19 have also made the issue of the need for thinking explicitly about health differences, about health equity has made all these concerns much more salient as well, much more real when we look at the, the, the big ways where uh, health outcomes really differ uh, depending on the resources that one has during the COVID-19 pandemic, even thinking about how racism affected outcomes from COVID-19. So I'll say that going forward, I really hope that we can take some of the lessons that we as a world have seen from the COVID-19 pandemic and translate that into actual policies that explicitly try to target closing the gap between the, the resource citizens of the world versus those who are less resourced. So that, that's what I'm hoping to see in terms of trends in urban planning. Thank you so much for joining us. That's been a really interesting discussion, and I look forward to hearing more of your research in the future. Thank you very much. I'm glad to have this opportunity to talk about my work. If you'd like to subscribe to the Globalization Newsletter, look for the link in the description or find us on Facebook at Global is Asian. 